Over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the Buddha's Eightfold Path, which can be divided into three arenas of training. Training in wisdom, virtue, and cognition. In the last episode, we finished our training in wisdom, which is composed of exercises in thought or intention, and exercises in worldview or understanding. Today, then, we'll move into the second arena of training, training in virtue or morality, where we'll work on choreographing our thoughts and understanding onto the world stage through our words and our bodies. But before we jump into the details, let's step back for a minute to get some perspective, to see how this arena of training fits into the greater context of the Buddha's philosophy and hopefully clear a potential misunderstanding. Because with virtue, the focus is on doing and not doing certain things, it can seem dogmatic and authoritative, just another someone or something telling me how I should live my life. But to understand our training in this way would be misleading and incomplete. Yes, there is a moral code here, but the code is not a dogmatic prescription to action. It's an aid or toolkit to establish harmony in our lives, hearts, and minds. It's a traveler's guide to find freedom from suffering, to find lasting peace, the entire aim of the Buddha's philosophy. So, in order to see our training in a more honest and complete way, it may be useful to shine some light on the translation of the Pali word sila into morality. In English, Morality carries a historical and theistic context that doesn't track well with Buddhism. It suggests a sense of obedience that is absent from the Buddhist concept of sila. The Buddhist framework is non-theistic. It grounds its morality not in the word of God or in any other authority, but in harmony, in wholeness, in love. Sometimes, the word sila is even translated into cooperation and coordination. Virtue or moral conduct, then, in the Buddhist frame, means to cooperate and live in harmony with life, to live and love and care for the world and its creatures. And again, not out of dogma or authority, but to purify the heart and mind, to become free from suffering, to find lasting peace. There are no demands along this path, only invitations. Come see for yourself, the Buddha says, if establishing virtue allows your spiritual life to flourish. Come see if speaking and acting with love opens the heart and calms the mind. See if it brings about more concentration and wisdom. See for yourself if it leads onward to freedom. Okay, well, let's go ahead and move into the substance for today. Training in virtue, as I said, is about training our beings in the world. And the way we are able to show up in the world is through our words and our bodies. So our training will consist of exercises in speech and action. And because so much of our speech and actions are tied up with our careers, 
will give our careers its own consideration. Today, however, we're just going to begin exploring our speech, which we'll turn to now. Virtuous Speech There's a story about a wise master who was asked to heal a sick child through words of prayer. As the master began, a skeptic in the crowd yelled out, expressing doubts about such a superstitious way of healing. So the master turned to the skeptic and said sharply, You know nothing of healing, you ignorant fool. The skeptic was very offended. He grew red in the face and shook with anger. And before he could gather himself to reply, the master spoke again, asking, When one word has the power to make you hot and angry, why shouldn't another word have the power to heal? Our words are powerful. They can be used to start wars, spark revolutions, or build nations. They can incite mobs to violence or gather thousands to march for peace. They can fill libraries with useful tools and knowledge. Or they can flood our social media and news channels with fear, deception, and misinformation. They can bring us closer to our families, friends, and neighbors. Or they can be used to tear us apart. The words we use matter. And their reach is vast, especially considering the tremendous increase in the means, speed, and range of communications in our modern world. The words and the tone we use ripple through infinity. They condition our hearts and minds, our moods and emotions, our likes and dislikes. They condition our self, our stories, our identities, values, and aims. And these all bleed out into space and time, conditioning not only our own lives, but our entire legacy. How awake are you to the influence of words in your life? Are you aware of the motivations behind your speech? Do you use words to uplift yourself and others, or to bring yourself and others down? Are your words full of hate, anger, and jealousy? Or are they full of love, care, and compassion? Do they spread truth, wisdom, and understanding? Or do they spread falsehood, ignorance, and delusion? To help open us to our speech, the Buddha highlighted four elements or dimensions of our speech to investigate, which are typically framed as abstentions, but I like to reframe them as questions. First, is your speech grounded in truth? Second, is your speech aimed at harmony? Third, is your speech accomplished with tenderness and affection? Fourth, is your speech useful and beneficial? What we're really exploring here with these exercises is the nobility of words. How do we find and stand up for the nobility of our language, the nobility of our naming, of our storytelling? How do we use speech to set us and others free? Today, let's go ahead and explore in depth the first of these four elements, 
the truthfulness of our speech. And in the next episode, we'll finish exploring the rest. The Buddha said, Avoid false speech and abstain from it. Be devoted to truth. Speak the truth. Be reliable and worthy of people's confidence, not dishonest or deceptive. When people ask me to condense my own philosophy into a few words, my reply is always the same. Be honest. Honesty is foundational. It's a commitment to what is real. So in a way, honesty transcends morality. It transcends our pursuit of freedom. Because neither have a basis without it. Bhikkhu Bodhi, who translated a lot of the Buddha's works into English, and who I've been pulling a lot from for our exploration of the Noble Eightfold Path, said, Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our inner being and the true nature of phenomena. Thus, much more than just an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand in reality rather than illusion. Wisdom, which our practice seeks to cultivate, is impossible without a commitment to honesty. Because wisdom seeks the realization of truth, because its aim is to come into harmony with the way reality is, we must resolve to take a stand in reality. We must make this resolve not only internally, but also externally with our speech and communication with others. Before you speak, then, try to make it a practice to ask yourself, is this true? And don't stop here. There's too much hearsay and misinformation flooding our world to stop here. Ask the follow-up. How do I know this is true? This way you won't add to the noise, confusion, distrust, and all the damage it's causing across the world. Remove yourself from the problem. Be careful what you say or share on social media. Have a genuine sense of humility about what you know and what you don't know. State your sources clearly, and when you don't know whether something is true based on your own experience, be clear about that. The world is in dire need of honest and humble communicators. Now, it's worth pointing out that honesty goes beyond merely speaking the truth and refraining from speaking what is not true. Real honesty requires that we open to and see clearly the motivations and intentions behind our words or their absence. William Blake wrote, A truth told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. And homie's got a point. Just because something is true is not in itself a reason to say it. In yoga's ethical code, the yamas and niyamas, which essentially mean restraints and duties, when the first and second yama, which are nonviolence and truthfulness, When these two are at odds with each other, truthfulness is encouraged to bend its knee to nonviolence. In other words, it's important to understand why we're saying what we're saying 
even if it's true. We need to look at the shadows of our speech, at our motivations and their effects. When we do, we start to see that depending on the motivating root, our false speech can take on different forms, and that each of these forms lead to specific consequences in our own hearts and minds as well as in the world. When our speech is motivated by greed, for example, it can take the form of a lie dressed in cleverness and deception. Our words become illusions, smoke and mirrors aimed at self-gain. And when our false speech is motivated by hatred, this too can take the form of a lie, but a lie armed with knives and daggers to hurt ourselves or others. But malice can also take the form of Blake's intentionally hurtful truth, which is also dishonest, since it comes not from the heart, but from the fractured, isolated, and defensive ego, which means to cause harm. Finally, when our false speech stems from a place of delusion, it can take the form of an irrational or compulsive lie, or a weird or interesting exaggeration, or a sarcastic comment or joke. When false speech stems from delusion, the waters of the mind aren't too unsettled. We may still be able to take the boat out to ski or wakeboard, and your friend might even still join you, but you'll probably run into some small chops. And when your false speech comes from a place of genuine confusion or misunderstanding, you might glide smoothly along clear waters and be just fine. Or, randomly, you or your friend might hit a small log floating in the water, which sends you or your friend tumbling. That is, the untruth may hurt you or others, but the karmic fruit is typically not as unsavory as that of an intentional lie or omission. When we're intentionally dishonest, the harmful consequences are usually substantial. Intentional dishonesty leads to great disharmony, not only in our own hearts and minds, but it poisons, corrodes, and disrupts our relationships, our families, our communities, politics, and institutions. When our words are deceitful and malicious, it almost always creates an atmosphere of distrust, fear, and isolation society begins to collapse because we can no longer trust our neighbors and news sources. We can no longer trust our political leaders and institutions, our medical and scientific authorities. Just take a look at the current state of our society. Without truth, honesty, and trust, we're forced to live in a constant state of unease and worry. There's no peace or freedom. Nietzsche said, I'm not upset you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I can't believe you. One of the main elements to honest speech is careful, honest, and sincere listening. So to begin your practice, why don't you try to devote a few days to listening carefully to others, as well as to your own heart? How does this affect what you say? As you listen, what inner dialogue is going on? Are you thinking about what you'll say? Thinking about how this person is wrong? 
thinking about why you're right, thinking about how you have a better story. Do you get easily distracted by unrelated thoughts? Or are you worshiping the person across from you, giving them your full, unbounded attention? Once you've listened to another or paused to listen to your own heart before speaking, I invite you to open awareness to the motivation behind your words before you say them. Are they rooted in honesty? If you slip and express some form of false speech, no worries. Just note the false speech and then open to it and investigate it. What was the intention behind it? Did you exaggerate the truth or pretend to be an authority on some matter to sound better or to get recognition? Did you manipulate, equivocate, and twist your words to get something you wanted? Did you stay silent because you feared rejection? Did you lie because you didn't want to sound weak, needy, or jealous? Again, look out for your motivation every time you open your mouth. Another skillful thing to do to tune up your speech is to really reflect on the consequences of false speech. Understand why it's important to speak with honesty and integrity. Consider how lying and false speech corrode your relationships, how they make our society and institutions inoperable. Consider how dishonesty undermines our ability to cooperate and support each other. Understand that to live together successfully, we need an atmosphere of mutual trust. Reflect also on the personal consequences of false speech. Consider the nature of your lies to proliferate. When you lie and someone suspects it, do you double down? Do you feel the need to lie again and again to keep face, to paint a consistent picture of events? See for yourself how the process of lying repeats itself, how the lies continue to stretch, multiply, and connect, until, as Bhikkhu Bodhi says, they lock us into a cage of falsehoods from which it is difficult to escape. Don't become the victim to your own cleverness and deception. Who are you fooling? And on the other side of this, See if honesty leads to more happiness and freedom. When you embody honesty, see if people become attracted to you. See if they tend to confide in and value you. See if they tend to support you. And see also, when you're honest, if you feel more at ease. See if it allows your heart to become soft, warm, and open. See if it brings more peace, space, and clarity to the mind. See if it enables you to grow more concentrated and focused, and if this allows more insight and wisdom to unfold. Honesty, when it is embodied, speaks volumes. It's a real treasure in this world. Become this treasure. May you find lasting harmony and peace. Until next time.